This reading is from Romans 12, verses 1 to 8. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of the faith God has given you. Just as each one of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is in leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is in showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. A number of years ago now, psychologist Ruth W. Berenda and her associates carried out an interesting experiment with teenagers designed to show how they handled peer pressure. I'm sure you've heard of this before, actually, but the plan was simple. They got 10 young young people in a room, and each of the group was instructed to raise their hands when the teacher pointed at the longest line that was drawn on a board. Nine of them had been told to raise their hand when they pointed at the second longest line, but one hadn't. So the experiment began, and nine of the teenagers voted for the wrong line. The person who didn't know about this would typically, typically glance around, frown in confusion, and slip his hand up with the rest of the group, even though he knew deep down that he was wrong. The instructions um, were repeated, and it was done again and again. And time after time, the self-conscious person who didn't know what was going on would sit there saying that a short line was longer than a long line, simply because they lacked the courage to challenge the rest of the group. This remarkable conformity occurred in about 75% of the cases. It was true of small children. It was true of older teenagers as well. Conformity. We've all been there and done that, I'm sure. It's not just young people. It's people of all ages. People who have a desire to fit in. A desire to keep the status quo and to be like everybody else. But here in Romans 12, we're told not to conform. Verses 1 to 2 say, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. So let's look at that first part to start with. Living sacrifice. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? Thinking about sacrifice in particular. 
Well, when we think of sacrifices in Bible times, we might think of sacrifices presented on an altar. These sacrifices were, of course, very much dead. But here we're told to present ourselves as living sacrifices. And that's because God wants visible, lived out bodily evidence that our lives are built on his. Built on his mercy, built on his goodness, built on his saving grace. And just as worshippers in the Old Testament would present a sacrifice, um, an actual sacrifice, which meant they were denying themselves of some earthly treasure, be it a sheep, a goat or a bull or whatever it was, they went without something as a form of worship. In the same way, we deny ourselves some earthly treasure or ease or comfort or whatever. And in doing that, we take ourselves to places and to relationships and crises in the world where God's love and mercy is very much needed. And that could be anywhere, home, work, school, anywhere at all. And we live out our lives in those places in such a way that people can see Jesus in us. And that is us offering a sacrifice to God. It might require us to sacrifice some things, popularity, our own will, money. But when we're living sacrifices, then we put God in control. And we offer him our whole lives in his service. But think again about that word living. A life of visible lived our actions of mercy is what we're being asked for. It's our living, it's our everyday life that is our worship to God. So often we think that worship is just what we do together on a Sunday morning or evening, but worship is far more than that. It's what we do with our every moment. It's a choice we make that to either honour God or dishonour God. It's the things that we do to either bring him glory or put people off. It's the words we speak, it's the things we do, it's the conversations that we have, it's everything. And the message version, which we so eloquently heard before, says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. We are called to live in such a way that every act of our bodies, everything we do is an act of worship. Everything we should do should demonstrate that God is our treasure, that he is more precious to us than anything else. Everything we do should be us turning away from things that bring dishonour to God and turning to him and growing to be more and more like him because we know how important the grace that he has shown us is. So we're told to be living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. How do we present ourselves as being holy before God? Well, it means giving every part of ourselves to him. Living in such a way that we don't sin with any part of our bodies. Our eyes, our ears, our mouths, everything. The things we listen to, the things we're involved with, the things we say, the things we do. A body isn't holy because of what it looks like or what shape it's in, but because of what it does. It's a physical instrument that God uses to work through. Is it the physical instrument for peace and mercy? Is it the physical instrument for meekness and humility? Because those things is what it should be. Are the things we do honouring to God, even though 
it might mean putting down our own desires and putting those to one side. Well, the next part says pleasing to God. That's what we're hoping to be. Now, surely that's what being holy is about. It's about being pleasing to God. So does that mean anything more than we've already talked about? Well, if the sacrificial way we live our lives is holy, then surely we're pleasing to God. But by adding that on there, it reminds us that it's all for God. The reason we're living the way we do, the reason we're making sacrifices in perhaps how we want to live and how we do live, is for God. The reason we need to be holy is for God. All of what we should be should be an act of worship to God. And he should always be at the centre of our lives. Romans 12 is calling us to live a merciful life, a life of worship to him where we take our everyday, ordinary life and use it to serve him in everything. The aim in living a merciful life is so that others can see in order that we might show him through the things we do. The point of us being here and living in these bodies is to make the glory of God more visible. And he doesn't shine through the way we look, but the way that we act. Everything we should do should point to him being present in our lives. And that's what we're called to do. Every single one of us is called to live a life that is holy and pleasing to God. We're called to be living sacrifices, which means putting him first in everything. That's some calling, isn't it? It's quite difficult. It's not straightforward. And you know, quite often in the Bible, you hear these verses that say what we should be. And not always are we told exactly how to do it. But here, we're given at least a few examples of how we should live that way. Verse 2, the message version says, Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Radically recognise what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. And there it is again, don't conform to the culture. Don't become so much like the world around us that we fit in and no one would be able to tell the difference. It's still the summer holidays, some of us have been away, some of us are looking forward to going away, but did you know that according to the RAC, in 2009 there were 141,000 motorhomes registered on UK roads. That's a lot of motorhomes. And the Caravan Club has a million members. A chap called David Roher said, The motorhome has allowed us to put the conveniences of a home on wheels. A camper no longer needs to contend with sleeping in a sleeping bag, cooking over a fire, or hauling water from a stream. Now he can park in a fully equipped home on a cement slab in the midst of a few pine trees and hook up to a water line, a sewer line, and electricity. Some of them even have a satellite dish attached. No more bother with dirt, no more smoke from the fire, no more drudgery of walking to the stream. Now it's possible to go camping and never have to go outside. We buy a motorhome with the hope of seeing new places, of getting out into the world, yet we deck it out with the same furnishings as in our own living room. Thus nothing really changes. We may drive to a new place, set ourselves in new surroundings, but the newness goes unnoticed for we've only carried along our old setting. The adventure of a life 
A new life in Christ begins when the comfortable patterns of the old life are left behind. Now, I'm not dissing motorhomes or caravans. Let's just get that straight. <laughs> this guy's clearly got an issue. But anyway, the point is that when you see the um, comparison there, it's true, isn't it? So often we have the best of intentions. We vow that we'll change. We promise ourselves that we'll be different. We promise God that we will be different. But like those motorhomes, we insist on carrying a lot of the same old stuff along with us, and nothing changes. We still do the things we did the way we did them before we were Christians. We don't adjust the things we do to say and reflect Christ in us. And when that's exactly what we should be doing, that's what we've just talked about. But when we give our lives as living sacrifices to God, then we need to allow him to change us from the inside out. We need to be open to him and open to growing to be more like him. But you know, often when we say things like that, it's easy to see how people can misunderstand us. By saying we don't want to conform to the world doesn't mean we're being judgmental and superior or that we think we're better than anyone else. That's definitely not true. It simply means that we're to live the way that God wants us to. And by offering ourselves as living sacrifices to God, we're devoting ourselves to live out his love and his mercy in the places that he's put us. It's not standing there in judgment on others. It's instead recognising that we're not perfect, we don't have it all sorted, but knowing that we have a hope in Jesus. It's striving to be the people God wants us to be and living our lives without compromise. One thing I would add, though, is that so often Christians think they can't take a view against something because it's being judgmental. That's simply not true. We can disagree with people. We can disagree with the things that people do. But we should always accept them and always show God's love to them, no matter who they are or what it is we're disagreeing about. It doesn't mean we have to agree with everyone or water things down so far that, well, water down our beliefs so as we fit in with everyone. We're called to be different. We're called to not conform to this world. But we're called to do that in love. Just yesterday, I saw a poster that simply said, you will never influence the world by trying to be like it. That is so true. We need to influence the world, not be like it. And verse 3 of the passage puts it a lot better than I do. It says, for by, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. And the message version says, I'm speaking to you out of the deep gratitude for all that God has given me. And especially, I have responsibilities in relation to you. Listen then, as every one of you does in pure grace, it is important that you, not mis- that you do not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is, and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. It's about living a life that shows just how much God has done for us, living a life of gratitude, living a life that says, hey, I'm not perfect, but I know someone who is, and knowing that he loves us with an everlasting love, despite our many flaws and failings, repeated failings at that. That kind of holy living is what we're called to, One that will draw others to his love, not push them away. Knowing that every single one of us is as important as the next. 
which is what the passage goes on to say in verses 4 and 5. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We all matter. We're all important. We need to put aside whatever insecurities we might find within ourselves, which mean we sometimes try and put others down. We need to build one another up, recognising that we're all gifted in different ways. All parts of the same body, all ultimately working towards the same purpose. And again, I absolutely love what the message version says in verse 6. It says, So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvellously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were meant to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we're not. Let's just go ahead and be what we're meant to be. So often we're encouraged to do one over on somebody else. We're encouraged that we've got to be the best at someone else's expense. We have it drummed into us through TV, through magazines, that anything less than perfect isn't good enough. We enjoy talent shows where people who aren't all that good are made fun of nationally, on TV. We turn the misfortune of others into entertainment. People try and fit a mould that they were never made for because God has given each of us the ability to do certain things well and we should use those gifts for his glory. We don't need the approval of others, we simply need the approval of God. Henry Van Dyke in an article in Bits and Pieces said, use what talents you possess. The woods would be very silent if no birds sang there except those that sang best. As long as we're using our gifts to glorify God, as long as he is the focus of our lives, as long as we're showing through our everyday lives that we don't conform to this world because of the grace shown to us by Jesus, then we needn't worry whether we're good enough. We shouldn't compare ourselves to others and we certainly shouldn't think of ourselves as more higher than others. And the last thing we need to think about is that whatever we do, we should do it to the best of our abilities. William C. Sherios told a story of a group of tourists visiting a picturesque village who walked by an old man sitting by a fence. In a rather patronising way, one tourist asked, were there any great men born in this village? The old man replied, nope, only babies. A a frothy question brought a profound answer. There are no instant heroes. Whether in this world or in the kingdom of God, growth takes time. Growth takes time and commitment. Serving God requires our best. And the message version again says, if you preach, just preach God's message, nothing else. If you help, just help. Don't take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. And if you work with the disadvantaged, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. It speaks for itself. Whatever we're doing, do it the best that we can because we're meant to be living sacrifices for God. We're meant to be living in such a way that others can see the effect that God's love has had on us and see God at work in us. Not in a self-righteous kind of a way, but in a way that reaches out to others. By doing those things, by sticking to the things that we teach, by 
giving guidance and not getting bossy, by being in charge without manipulating, by doing what we do well without doing the stuff that the world expects of us. We're showing God at work through us. And that's exactly what we're called to do. To live a life that allows God to work through us. To live in such a way that we don't indulge ourselves in the ways of this world, but keep ourselves holy for God. So that people can see the difference he makes and people will want to know more. Let me finish with the word of an Episcopal priest called Robert Capon, who put it like this. The most critical issue facing Christians today is not abortion, pornography, the disintegration of the family, moral absolutes, MTV, drugs, racism, sexuality, or school prayer. The critical issue today is dullness. We've lost our astonishment. The good news is no longer good news, it's okay news. Christianity is no longer life-changing, it's life-enhancing. Jesus doesn't change people into wild-eyed radicals anymore. He changes them into nice people. What happened to radical Christianity? The unnice brand of Christianity that turned the world upside down. What happened to the category-smashing, life-threatening, anti-institutional gospel that spread through the first century like wildfire and once considered by those in power dangerous? What happened to the kind of Christians whose hearts were on fire, who had no fear, who spoke the truth no matter what the consequence, who made the world uncomfortable, who were willing to follow Jesus wherever he went? I'm ready for that kind of Christianity that ruins my life, that captures my heart and makes me uncomfortable. I want a faith that's considered dangerous by our predictable and monotonous culture. Let's pray. Father God, we know that you've called us to be holy, living sacrifices, pleasing to you. We ask that in the things that we do, you will help us to be brave enough to stand out from the crowd, to make choices that mean that we don't conform to the world that we're in, but that we act in worship to you and through our worship to you, through our everyday, everyday service, through our everyday life, that people can see you at work in us. And Lord, give us the confidence when we need confidence and give us the opportunities that we need to make a difference in this world for you. 